Welcome to Tachlis Talks and a very special Tachlis Talk next in our series of Shalom Bias Boosters, although this will connect to our upcoming Parsha as well. Shalom Bias, it's been a while since we have focused on that. Shalom, again, peace and the bias in the home, but far more than peace, Shalom is more of a sense of Shalom, of completion, all parts working together, harmony in the home. And it's been a while since we talked about it, but being about 10 hours away from the chuppah of our youngest daughter has me definitely focused right now on the issue of marriage relationships, aiming towards the blissful relationship that marriage is meant to be. And as such, I'm asking your indulgence if there's any background noise over here. Hopefully it's a pretty good setting, but I'm actually right now in Lakewood, New Jersey, not at home and uh, not in as much control of my physical environment over here, but wanted to share the following, what I believe significant message. Shalom bias, shalom, peace, meaning harmony. The Talmud gives a series of metaphors for shalom. Metaphor is described as a river, a kettle, and a bird. And in fact, a great small book by the name of The River, The Kettle, and the Bird, written by one of the greatest sages of our current generation, Rabbi Aaron Feldman, addresses these different stages of peace and how we get there. So the river. Think of a river as a connector. You have villages, one upstream, one downstream. Big cities, one upstream, one downstream. States that share the water resources. And the river was the means of communication, the means of transportation, the means of, of, of connection, of all types of of business activities that went along the river. I live north of the Ohio River, and anytime you're crossing the river, you can notice activity, tugboats pulling large barges, and there's still an enormous amount of commerce that is river-based. So the river is a connector. The two towns are now connected, and they do business with each other, and they interface with each other. But it remains Typically, that level of peace, cordial, get along, do business, take advantage of each other's goods and resources and products, but there's nothing that in any way necessitates town A to become more akin to town B or vice versa. They don't have to change their culture, their language. They have to have some shared language. They don't have to modify their typical life's routine or behavior due to their connectivity to the other individuals and communities that share that resource. So there's a peace, there's a shalom, but rather basic. Advancing beyond that, you have the kettle. The kettle, if you have water and you have fire, but without the kettle or a pot, you can't cook yourself a soup, a nice glass of hot tea, a strong coffee, by simply merging the water and the fire. Pour the water on the flame and you either douse the fire or evaporate the water or a little bit of each, but you don't end up with that hot water. To produce heated water, you need the medium of the kettle. The kettle allows the fire plus water to accomplish a transformation to hot water. That, as Ray Feldman describes, is the productive piece. It's not just companionship. It's not just that you know now we have certain things that manage to happen because of our being together, but there's actually a sense of productivity of the two complementing each other. And what I can't do, she manages to accomplish, and what she wouldn't be able to do on her own, I can do, and together we accomplish 
producing that hot water type of a outcome. But there's a grand level of peace far above that, and that is the bird. Think about a bird soaring through the sky, but if you can't come down here on Earth and manage to pluck a worm out of the ground, not going to last too long. And if you can only hobble along the Earth over here, what a shame in terms of the lack of fulfillment and lack of use of his wings to soar. So the bird represents the blending of two worlds, two disparate entities coming together into one. Heavens and earth meeting and represents this notion of the fact no longer is it you and I, he and she, but we are now one unit, one unit that together can soar far beyond simply getting along at the river stage, far beyond accomplishing together because we're the team at the kettle stage, but being one. This idea, the oneness, certainly the goal, and constantly within marriage, we should be looking for ways to make sure that we are fully, fully, fully comfortable making sure we get by at least at that river stage, finding ways to function as that team at the kettle stage, and aiming high for that soaring stage. We are one, we think together. When I want, I want because it's us as a team. When she is making a plan for a vacation, when she is organizing something in the house, when he is determining a career move, whatever is happening in their lives, stereotypical or a-stereotypical about the different roles, but each of them automatically include in their decision-making the fact that they are more than an individual who is sharing their life with another individual, but they are a unit of this soaring bird marriage couple. But there's a risk because if we are projecting into ourselves, I'm the bird, I am this team, and therefore, by definition, what I want, she wants. By definition, what I'm thinking, he's thinking. We may be making a grave error. As Rav Shimshon Pincus points out in one of his works, the oneness is not an elimination of the other person's intellect, of the other person's emotions, of the other person's mind. And I have to keep that in my mind. Because, yes, of course, we're meant to be operating together, but there's the reality that sometimes he or she are not thinking exactly what I would want them to be thinking, because I want X and she wants Y, and I have to keep that in mind and be constantly sensitive to that, and in so doing, secure that this bird state of this oneness, this soaring, is actually not competing with the other party's actual wants and desires. An example of this, actually, or a way to perceive this, there are two elements in the upcoming Parsha of Bahar. This coming week is actually a double header, Bahar and Mechukosai. Within the Bahar section, there are two elements that, in a sense, seem at odds with each other. We have one issue in the Parsha, a verse that describes V'chei Achicha Imach. Your brother shall live with you. It's your job to see to it that your brother lives with you, that you are supportive of your brother. You're caring for your brother. You're there for him. But, imach, with you, says the Talmud, quote the commentaries, imach with you means that chayecha kodman. Ultimately, your life comes first. If it's down to the wire and God forbid there's a situation that I could provide for him or survive, you first survive. And this is not limited to cases that are of that extreme life and death. But in general, our commentaries teach that my needs do come first. 
And now I have to be focused on the other, caring for the other, but I need to take care of my literal survival and my general welfare and then have it overflow to others. Not living the life of luxury before I take care of his basic needs, but again, see to it that your basic needs are taken care of and then provide to the other. But when it comes to the Evid Ivri, the Hebrew servant, is the Jewish servant described later on in the parsha, where there's a command, not to be overbearing upon him. Regarding the Evid Ivri, there's also a requirement that what you have, if it's limited, has to be turned over to that Evid, to that servant. So that, for example, you have only one mattress, guess who gets it? Give that over to the Evid Ivri. Give it to the servant before you take it yourself. Now, if you're down to one mattress, I'm not sure why you are the one who has that servant, but that's how life worked out. You have this Evid Ivri working for you. You have this servant working for you, and you are down to one mattress. He gets it. Down to one pillow. He gets it. Well, wait a minute. What happened to the notion of that you take care of your basic needs first? I would have thought a mattress, pillow, pretty basic needs. That's not necessarily in the category of the super luxuries. Your basic comfort is being eliminated to prioritize the needs of the servant. Seems to be a contradiction. Well, this question was asked. 1943, in Israel, in the city of Bnei Brak, Rav Kahanaman, the Panavija Rav, famed for his scholarship and his being a major builder and a major rebuilder, of Torah Jewry after the Holocaust. And he created an orphanage and plenty of orphans, unfortunately, new refugees coming from Europe. But the situation in Israel is dire. Nobody has anything extra. He cannot come up with pillows for these poor kids. He calls a community gathering and he speaks and he raises the question I just asked. He raises this question. We have a imach. Take care of yourself and then have it overflow to the other, but you do take care of your basic needs first. And we have the obligation to turn the pillow over to the servant. How do those resonate together? And he responded, the Torah is getting into the inner core of a Jew, or at least what a Jew should hopefully operate like. And we're getting to the mindset of that owner. He's about to go to sleep, puts his head down on his pillow. He has only one pillow. He kept it for himself. You're not going to be able to fall asleep tonight. You have a pillow and your servant doesn't. There's another person within your household and he doesn't have a pillow. Of course, you're not going to sleep comfortably. So the poor servant, he's not sleeping comfortably because he doesn't have a pillow. And you're tossing and turning over the your lack of comfort due to the fact that you know that the evid, that servant, is not comfortable. So turn the pillow over to him. Now he'll sleep comfortably with his pillow. He has physical comfort. And you will have the menuchas nefesh. You will have the comfort of, we put at ease in terms of you're no longer being stressed. You're no longer anxious. You're going to sleep with a calm, feeling good about yourself. You gave him the pillow. That's the Rabbi Kahneman is what the Torah is teaching over here. And he turned to the community and he said, is there anybody in this room who can go to sleep comfortably tonight knowing that these poor orphans who lost everything, their families, their communities, they, they, they're coming to a new land with a new language, new culture. Everything is new and shocking. Is anybody need to sleep comfortably tonight on a pillow knowing that they don't have pillows? Well, there was no shortage of pillows that night in the orphanage. This message, being in tune to the other, 
Even if the other is some child I don't know. Even if the other is the servant who is in my household, but that I can't fall asleep knowing that he has a need that I have not fulfilled. Well, if I understand that that applies to that individual at the distance or to the servant, how much more so to somebody that I care about and love, if he or she have a need that I am not seeing fulfilled, or I'm in any way the barrier to that fulfillment, how can I be comfortable in my perception of myself, knowing that we're a big picture, we're one big self, and on my side, I'm drawing things in a direction that is somewhat stifling, bothering, detracting from some fulfillment of herself or himself, whichever, and you're on the equation. This idea that I'm constantly focused on our oneness, but also in tune to the fact that are there degrees to which anything about my behavior, about my wants, my expectations, my planning is in any way stifling, inhibiting, bothering the other half of this self? Keeping that in mind will allow for a hopefully very healthy bird-like marriage and hopefully very healthy, warm, close relationships that soar. And if we can have these ideas in mind, and on the most basic level with society around us, be sensitive to other people's needs and the people that are closest to us. And it's not just marriage. Shalom Bias is also parent to child, child to parent, siblings, and in the outer circles should impact how we deal with community as well. There should be Shalom there too. We should be constantly aspiring by being in tune to the need of the other while hopefully pulling all together so that we feel like we are one and accomplishing the type of relationships that will soar like those birds and the relationships that will allow us and all those that we touch and all those whose lives we are impacting to soar upwards and hopefully all achieve our tachlis.